about 1984, I spent some time in the back room of a grocery supply distribution company in uh, well, close to Dallas, Texas. And I found these little handheld devices. They were communicating with a 300 baud acoustic modem, for those of us old enough to know what that was, to a computer and putting data in. So I quit my job and went to work for the company selling the handhelds. Thought, this is a good thing. Get the data as close as you can to the source and leave all the people in the middle out. Through the years, staying in that business, we introduced a few new things. We put radios in the handhelds so they could communicate directly to your system. We put RFID in it so that you could find things by magic, maybe. We put voice radios in, uh, pick-to-voice systems. We put in radios so that people could track all their employees around. <laughs> A lot of things. And who would have thought that way back then we started an economy that really transformed logistics and transportation, so many areas of business, because without that, you were still working with a big chief tablet and number two pencil and trying to get things from point A to point B, which doesn't work. So we put all these together. That was a long time ago. I'm Scott Medford. I'm the senior vice president of Apex Global Supply Chains. I'm senior because I've been doing this for a long, long time. It spawned an industry back then that really transformed how we run the businesses, right? You tied into the warehouse management systems, specifically Manhattan, who was one of my partners from decades ago. And you began to run your business with logic. That's the way it should be. What I didn't anticipate that far back was that the devices themselves would become their own worst enemy. When I was selling them, it was okay. If you lost some or broke some, great, order more. I'll sell you all you want. When I got out of that business and looked back and I found Apex, I said, what a novel idea. Let's keep track of the products that keep track of our work because they actually cost real money and they have a definite impact on your bottom line. So we've moved through the channel further and further and further into what we're now calling the last inch. We had it so that you could find it on a forklift. We had it so you could get it on a cart. You could get it on a truck. Now, how do you get it to the last piece there? What, what is the finishing touch to managing all the logistics, therefore managing all the cost? And it turned out that it was something as simple as what we affectionately call a locker. Now, when you see the things that we do, you see the physical manifestation, it looks like a locker. Everything that makes it work and that makes it worthwhile is the software in the background up in the cloud. And that has real value and does things. And the locker itself has taken on a lot of iterations. Because of my years in the business, I look at everything as logistics. We're now into taking these same lockers, you see them in, as pizza portals for, for uh, Little Caesars. You're delivering something to a location that happens to be a pizza portal and your picker comes and picks it up, who happens to be the customer who ordered it, and they take it out. It's efficient. We put it in so you can get chicken wings, Chinese food. You can pick up your orders at uh, different stores so that everything works together on that. And it's all about getting this last inch. How do we get products from point A to point B? Everything about everything is tied up in logistics. <clears throat> It just makes sense. When I look at a kitchen, I see a logistics issue. When I look at a distribution center, when I look at 
the entire United States or the world, because the world is flat. The only thing that makes it efficient is the logistics programs we can manage. So now we're taking it on this last piece of what do you do with the handheld device? How do you keep track of it? How do you get the supplies to the workers so they can enter all this data? And it does enable that transformation. So that's my spiel. That's the piece that I work on every day and try to get the new guys coming up, teach them how this all works, and I can make your business better. Um, well, to me, everybody looks young. So, I've got <laughs> so we've got Brian McClure from Tractor Supply, and he's going to tell us about his own journey. How did Tractor Supply decide that with all the devices they have, with that proliferation of, of objects that they use to run their business, how do they keep track of those objects? And where is that a good payback? So, without further ado, Brian. Thank you. Is this working? Can you hear me okay? We didn't actually think to do a sound check before this started, so that's a little oversight there. Um, my name is Brian McClure. I'm with Tractor Supply Company. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Tractor Supply Company, we actually do not sell tractors. That is the number one question that I get anywhere I go in the country. Do you sell tractors? No. We sell parts, seats, belts, just about anything you need to service a tractor, but we don't sell tractors. Um, we were founded in 1938. We are the largest retailer for rural lifestyle needs. Uh, and what that means is things like home improvement, uh, equine, uh, livestock, pet supply needs, lawn and garden, uh, maintenance, and agriculture products. Uh, that's, that's where we live, that's our specialty. We have approximately 1,850 retail locations spread across 49 states. We're not currently in Alaska. Uh, and we resupplied those through vendor direct ship, but primarily through our network of 11 distribution facilities located across nine states. And that's what I'm here to speak to you about today. Um, I support my, uh, myself and my team support all the IT needs for our supply chain partners. Their infrastructure, networking, uh, end user hardware, their production hardware, things like RF scan devices, mobile printers, the voice picking hardware, all that stuff my team supports on site in the DCs. And um, the challenge that we had, the challenge that we had was trying to solve a couple of needs for our supply chain partners. One of those needs was real estate. As you can see from a couple of the pictures, these are existing facilities that we have. On the right is just outside of Indianapolis, Indiana, where we have a, about 700,000 square foot facility. There's a centralized check-in and check-out location, and it can get pretty mixed up when they're drawing hardware in and out. Uh, the middle facility is in Waco, Texas. Uh, the middle picture is Waco, Texas. Uh, once again, it's a small controlled cage area uh, and the hardware is drawn in and out of uh, like a drive-through type or like a bank teller type window. So it, it really funnels down to a choke point and it wasn't good flow. It was taking up a lot of time for the supervisors and things like that to draw the hardware in and out and just 
as we talked with the leadership there, we came up with three specific concerns. One of them was the real estate within the buildings. Even though our buildings seem huge, they're typically anywhere from 600,000 to a million square feet, and they have anywhere from 300 to 600 headcount in each building. So a million square feet sounds big, but with today's distribution centers, every square inch is accounted for. And so if you take you know, 200 square feet of that and you account for production hardware, you know, RF scan devices, voice picking devices, mobile printers, uh, two-way communication radios, things of that nature, that 200 square feet can be better spent on automation, on ROI generating processes, things like that. Uh, the second thing we were trying to help them solve for was staffing. You know, the, the average cost of, as I sit out here and look at our Manhattan partners who we, uh, we partner with to get our hardware, I can look at my rep and he can tell me exactly how much it is, but probably an average production hardware cost is around $1,500 to 1700 per unit. And we have anywhere from 200 to 300 units per distribution center. So the amount of capital that you've got tied up in this hardware is pretty extreme. So we were trying to solve for accountability. Damaged hardware means lost production. It means downtime. It means additional expense through the RMA process. You know, maintenance costs go up. So we wanted to help drive accountability of the hardware. Uh, so you want someone accountable to issue that hardware in and out. And at Tractor Supply, we were primarily having supervisors in our distribution centers do that. And the supply chain leadership didn't feel that that was a very good use of their time. Uh, and, and we wholeheartedly agreed in IT. So the, the third aspect was just efficiency and flow. As you can see from the pictures, if, if the picture was widened out, it originally actually had about 20 people standing in each individual line on the right side there. So what you have is a single file line at each window of the cage where they're drawing hardware either out or in, and it's just not a good use of time. Our, our buildings uh, are different sizes and have different product mixes and stuff in them and operate in different ways. We have some that operate three back-to-back-to-back eight-hour shifts, so there is zero downtime between like a first and second shift. So you have two shifts that are vying for the same hardware at the same time, and it can cause a lot of confusion. And so those were the three things that we were looking to help our supply chain partners solve. So what we looked to do was we partnered with Manhattan, who put us in touch with Apex, and we partnered with them to see what all products they had, what types of services they offered for the lockers. And then we partnered with our supply chain partners, uh, specifically the senior leadership on site in our new distribution center that we were building two years ago. And we looked at what amount of hardware would they need for standard operations. And then we looked at hardware quantities they would need uh, if they were to run overtime or for peak season, such as uh, uh, you know third, fourth quarter uh, Christmas retail season. For us, spring peak is also very big, uh, growing season. People doing lawn care, starting their gardens, things like that. So spring peak is very big for us. We have to account for that hardware during spring peak as well. So we looked at what their normal hardware counts would be, and then we looked at what their high volume hardware counts would be during peak season, and then we had to account for the highest number. 
Uh, you know, you, you always want to plan for the highest possible. We then looked at what the product mix would be. Uh, what type of hardware are they going to use in each area of the building? Is it going to be a hand, uh, a hand scan RF? Is it going to be a wearable uh, scanning device? Is it going to be a voice picking device? And then we walked the building with the supply chain partners and determined the ideal location for the lockers and allocated the hardware within them. Um, what that allowed them to do was it allowed them to put the lockers out on the floor and not have a centralized area at all. So in the, in the New York facility, which was the one we were building at the time, they put two cabinets in the order fill area, two cabinets on the shipping dock, and two cabinets on the receiving dock with the hardware that would be used in those specific production areas. All of our distribution centers do a, a, a handoff or a shift startup meeting. So they now do their shift startup meetings on the floor right near those lockers. And then immediately when it breaks up during those meetings, the supervisors are giving out the assignments to the team members. You know, hey, you're going to be doing this task or you're going to be doing a different task. And that lets them know which type of hardware they need. From there, they go immediately to the locker that's typically now within 10 to 15 yards away. They draw their hardware and they go immediately to work. So we went from having two choke line, you know, two choke points in a distribution center where they drew hardware in and out to having six. Um, and it's not, uh, we made sure to not put all of one hardware type in one locker. That was a big thing that, that we learned through discussions with Apex. You know, they made some recommendations to us. Um, if you do that, you still have a choke point because everybody that's going to get a hand scanner is standing in one line. So we made sure to spread the assets across the different lockers. Um, since this was a new startup facility, we were bringing a lot of support in from other buildings. They came on site, they saw the lockers, they saw the people using them. Of course, everyone loved them. They started going back to their buildings and talking about them. And then it's, it's kind of brush fire. You know, you're, you try to tamp it down a little bit because it's, it, it's not a, a small undertaking to be able to put a significant number of cabinets in a building. It requires, you know, coordination with uh, high voltage electrical, low voltage contractors. You have to get your data in, do the cabinet ordering, the placement, get the right mix, everything like that. So uh, we got with supply chain leadership, talked with them. Uh, they liked the idea of moving forward, putting them in uh, additional buildings. So as we continued to do that, uh, we moved them to a second site last year in Macon, Georgia. Uh, learning the things along the way with our first site. We implemented those with our Macon facility and the go-live went much smoother. Uh, a lot of it had to do with uh, individual, uh, you know, team member usage, kind of lessons learned, things that we weren't doing properly ourselves as users in New York uh, where we implemented them. We corrected that behavior uh, for our Georgia deployment and it went much smoother. Um, it was also kind of a different scenario in that in New York, that building went live with the lockers, and so that was all that they had ever known was having six different areas to get their hardware. In Georgia, they had a centralized checkout facility, and we transitioned them to the lockers, and so it, it took some wiping out of old behavior and learning new behaviors, and then training that into the employees that you know, they have to go to a specific area, 
or just how to use the machines as opposed to they used to just be able to go just say, hey, I need something, and they would get it. But the, the gains from this for that distribution center that made the switch has been incredible. Um, the supervisors whose time is extremely valuable who used to be checking in and out hardware now spend their time planning their day. They are looking at their grabs. They're looking at how many orders they have. They're looking at fill rates. They're looking at how many inbound loads they have, and they're planning their staffing. And if need be, they're taking staffing from one area and moving it to another area to be able to scale within the building. So they've seen a significant increase in production in the building. They've also seen uh, a reduction in uh, loss or shrink. Uh, we haven't really seen a, a, a reduction in damage, but damage occurs while the device is being used typically, so we didn't expect to see that. But we have seen a reduction in shrink, primarily from people accidentally taking it out, putting it in their cars, putting it in their lockers, you know, leaving it in a desk drawer, things like that. Um, this really gives a team member kind of a sense of ownership because they have to sign it out or scan it out with their badge. And they know that badge is tied to them. Uh, you know, we worked with, uh, with Apex to set up automated reporting. Uh, we looked at different thresholds and based on the needs of each individual building, we have tailored the, that reporting across the buildings based on their shift schedule, how frequently they work overtime, things of that nature. And so the supervisors and the entire leadership team is getting emails at those pre-established thresholds, letting them know, one, is the hardware checked in? If it's not checked in, is it still checked out? If it's checked out, who has it? And if it was checked in, was it checked in in good condition or in damaged condition? So that right there is valuable to my team, which is the IT support team, because we know as soon as hardware is checked in, we have alerting set up. If it's checked in damaged, my team can immediately go look at that device. They can troubleshoot it. If it's a, a routine fix, they can handle it on site. If it's something that has to go back for RMA, they can get that RMA process started that day immediately and not have lost downtime. Um, and then it's, it helps drive accountability for the supervisors and the senior leadership because they're able to see at the end of each shift what hardware is still out, uh, who has it. You know, they can look at that report and go, well, this person left at lunch, you know, they went home sick and they know that, oh, they probably just forgot to turn it in or something. Or they can look at it and say, oh, yeah, this person's still working. That's right, I asked them to stay two hours over and you know that it's a legitimate reason for the device still being out. Uh, it also allows us to plan ahead for our peak seasons, whether it be spring peak or fall uh, retail season, by having spare hardware that we keep in different buildings. Um, we have facility in Arizona, we have a facility in upstate New York. So spring growing season is vastly different in those two regions of the country. You know, spring growing season may start in late January in Arizona, but it's not not starting until sometime in maybe April or even early May for New York. So we can utilize hardware assets in Arizona and then we can actually ship those assets to New York uh, at just the cost of shipping. There, you know, no additional capital needed to purchase additional hardware. But by planning ahead and having the space available in the lockers, all it does is come in the building and then my team or one of the other administrators checks those devices into the lockers partnering with our supply chain uh, uh, you know, business partners on site 
to determine how many devices need to go into each individual locker. And so within a matter of you know, three to five days of shipping and processing time, we can have additional assets on site a whole lot cheaper and a whole lot faster than buying additionals just for peak season. Uh, and that's, that's a, a very handy tool for us. So this is just a, a couple of additional pictures here. Uh, it's funny that the top left is actually one of those storage sheds like you would buy at Lowe's or Home Depot or something like that. And it is inside of a building, inside of one of our distribution centers. So instead of having like a wire cage, that is actually like a 10 by 15 shed that you can close the barn doors and lock. Uh, and that's our RF room in our Maryland facility. Uh, we've got Vocalex on one side, uh, RF devices and stuff on the other. And then the bottom left corner is our existing Arizona facility. They're actually, Apex is coming on site tomorrow and installing the cabinets in that Arizona facility starting tomorrow morning. Uh, that currently is our facility right there. So you can see you have two choke points. You have a door and then you have the window that all the hardware is gonna be drawn in and out of. And that building right there, for example, has 175 pieces of hardware that are contained in that room. And so if you're utilizing two thirds of that, you know, you got approximately 120 devices coming in and out per shift through those two, you know, through that door and that window. And that's a lot of lost productivity time. That's a lot of people standing in line. And that's a lot of time that supervisors or clerks or somebody are having to stand there and issue hardware in and out instead of, you know, creating packing lists and instead of doing bills of lading, instead of getting your receiving inbound loads lined up and assigning doors and things like that, you know, that have value. And then the picture on the right is our New York facility. Those were the two very first lockers that we installed. That is on our shipping dock side in New York. So you can see the product mix that we have in there. We have some hand scanners that they use on the shipping dock. We have some uh, wearable scanning devices that we use to do all of our online fulfillment. And then we have some of the uh, voice modules, uh, the, the Honeywell products that we do our non-conveyed order fill from. Uh, so everything is Bluetooth, hands-free, uh, and they go around the building and, and pick the larger items with that. We actually had uh, a little bit of extra space. Uh, so we had, we've already got two or three additional needs that we have fulfilled that we didn't initially see. In the bottom right here is high dollar uh, and high value tools for our maintenance team some of their more high dollar impact wrenches and things like that, that they wanted to make accountable. Uh, they, we assigned specific lockers only available to the maintenance technicians and they can scan those tools in and out. Uh, and we have them located throughout those same lockers within the building. So instead of having blank spaces, we have found additional uses for them. Uh, we're starting to issue out some Windows 10 touchscreen tablets and some iPads for various uses. And we're looking at putting those in these lockers also so that team members can be held accountable and you don't have to have one device per member. You know, you can have enough devices to outfit one shift and they check them in and out of the, you know, in and out of the lockers. Um, so you see, we, we have seen increased accountability in those two facilities. Um, I was on site in Georgia when we deployed these. 
uh, and, and I kid you not, it was within four hours of us first deploying them at the end of a shift. We ran the report and a device was missing and my IT person went to the HR department and said, hey, uh, we've already got a device missing. HR, will you please check the employee's locker, uh, which is the process there. So HR went, got a person, you know, got a witness, went, opened up the team member's locker and there was the hardware in their locker. Not that they were trying to keep it, it just, it was habit. You know, employees go put stuff in their locker. So instead of potentially losing, uh, you know, an expensive piece of hardware or having it not be available for the next shift within a matter of a couple of minutes, we were able to quickly get the device, make sure that it was still valid, not damaged, check it right back in, touch base with the supervisor of that employee, made sure that they remembered the process, walked back through the training steps with them, and then made sure to touch base with the employee the next day and walk them back through the process. You know, it, it takes multiple times before you really create that, that habitual learning. Um, and we did the same thing in our second site and we plan on doing it in all of our sites going forward is we're gonna allow extra capacity in the lockers uh, to expand it uh, for headcount or for potential other uses such as the maintenance tools, the iPads. Um, in our Georgia facility, they've also started using the, uh, they have fairly expensive two-way radios that they actually use to talk off-site to truck drivers and things like that. So they're more expensive than just the standard little, you know, two-way radios. Uh, they now put those in the lockers and they're restricted to supervisors and above have access with their badges. So it's, uh, to Scott's point earlier, it's the lockers are, are great, but what really makes them worthwhile is the flexibility that you have within the trajectory application to restrict the lockers to a particular subset of people. You can restrict it by group, you can restrict it by username, you can restrict it to a certain locker or not. With ours, we set a couple of things more strict than some other companies from what I'm told. Um, we have ours set to where the bin, like the, the very top left bin, when that gun gets checked out, when it gets checked in, it will assign it back to that top left bin. It can't go into any cabinet or any locker in any cabinet because what we were afraid of uh, was at the end of the day, you know, you draw them out from three different areas of the building, but at the end of the day, everybody leaves through the employee entrance and there's lockers up there. We didn't want everybody getting to the front of the building and going, oh, I didn't turn my gun in. And then everybody's trying to turn, you know, 200 devices in to an area that will only hold 72. Now you got devices sitting around on tables or the next day when people come in, they may go out to the receiving dock or the shipping dock and there's not enough assets available for them to draw out to do their work. So we have them restricted to the cabinet that they're drawn out of based on those areas of the building and that's why it's really important to work with those supply chain partners to determine the correct mix and the correct quantity for those areas. Uh, and then the other thing that we really learned was the, the biggest factor on top of that is make sure to have plenty of room and plenty of electrical for charging the batteries. Uh, that is the only drawback, uh, but it's a, a, it's a very equal trade-off for having each hardware in an individual locker. You can't charge the battery uh, while it's in the locker. Well, you can, but you would have to have X number of individual chargers, which is not you know, financially feasible. 
So, you know, we do the toaster style chargers with four, six, eight, or 12 based on what type of hardware it is. And so we have charging tables within very close proximity to every set of lockers so that as soon as they draw a device, they can immediately put a fresh battery in it that will last them their full production shift. Uh, and that was the last thing that I had. This is John from Manhattan. Hey guys, um, Brian, nice job. Always love having the customer give a message rather than you know, any of us vendors kind of delivering any messaging because clearly what they do in implementation is far more real to the customers in the audience. Um, my name's John Liberman. I'm Vice President of Enterprise Mobility at Manhattan Associates. Um, I own basically the team that sells, implements, supports all the third-party technology that interfaces with our software. If you don't know Manhattan Associates, we are a leader in the WMS space, TMS space, as well as uh, retail store applications. Um, what we're seeing today along the lines of what Brian was talking about is clearly automation that Brian did from kind of the, the people management, device management perspective it is important. Um, but we're also seeing beyond just that piece, we're seeing um, distribution being what can have you compete in today's e-com and I have to have an immediate uh, world. And so what we're starting to see is that when you look at your resources, when you look at your people, which is clearly one of the most expensive resources you have in distribution, how, to, how do you optimize that work staff? How do you keep that work staff on at your facility, uh, not wanting to go somewhere else. If you do have quite a bit of turnover, how do you, um, how do you onboard people in a much uh, quicker way? And then also along the lines of automation, what are the processes that I can look at that can actually eliminate um, headcount? Because I would rather replace it with robotics or automation um, or, or something like that. In the case of what Brian did, um, Removing headcount was a, a key piece of what you're looking at. I mean, people don't like to talk about uh, removing headcount. It's more redeploying. But having to use headcount to give out guns at the beginning of the shift is not necessarily a job that adds a ton of value when you can replace it with technology. Additionally, if you have resources that have to show up 10 minutes early or even longer than that, I think, Brian, what, what is the number that the clock in and then you give them 10 minutes essentially before they start work? On average, uh, supervisors were spending between 20 and 30 minutes per day, per shift, by the time you issue the hardware out for your shift and then you draw it, you know, you turn it back in at the end of the shift. So if you had two supervisors working, you were losing 40 to 60 minutes of supervisor, you know, leadership and production uh, management time. Yeah. And that's time that employees don't like, no employee is gonna to wanna to volunteer if they have a choice of 15 different distribution centers in the area, and one allows them to basically go in and grab their gun out of a, a locker, or if they have to stand in line for 15 minutes, they're gonna choose the one where they can go and automate that solution. And so, you know, as, as customers, as people that have distribution, you want to figure out the ways that you can actually bring to market solutions that are going to have happier employees, more productive employees, because people want to do their job. They don't necessarily want to deal with the headaches and the red tape of doing their job.
Oops. All right. Um, so the, the other piece around um, having a, uh, automation is we want to know more about what the associate is actually doing. So that starts clearly with how you get the device. Um, you know, clearly you're tying a device to a person. We're also looking from a software perspective how when a customer logs into our system, how we're actually tracking that person to a device. Additionally, we're looking at um, technologies like location services using either Bluetooth low energy, Wi-Fi triangulation, um, light, uh, lots of different ways, RFID, um, to figure out ways to understand how people actually are in their day in the life of working within distribution. Um, longer term, we feel like the onboarding process will be a heck of a lot easier if the application itself that the end user is using is not something like what Tractor Supply is using today, which is green screen, and having to understand lots of key presses and you know, basically no graphical interface on top of that. Um, have an application that's easier to use. People know how to use um, applications on an iPhone without any kind of training. But then the other piece that we have to overlay is just being able to bring people up to speed very quickly in how they navigate a distribution center. And so using location services to be able to walk somebody through either with a um, augmented reality like a Pokemon Go with, um, with directions, uh, that, that is something that's gonna be hugely important um, to be able to move into the future. So, you know, we, we really feel like we owe it to the community at large to provide better solutions. It's very simple to do things like um, lockers, but it takes a lot of times a mindset shift to say, this is a process that I've always done before. How do I get rid of that process that I've always done before and replace it with technology to allow my people to be better utilized? And we're trying to take that same thoughtfulness into the WMS space. Now, from an Apex perspective, one of the other areas that we're excited about um, using them, if you're a retailer and Distribution clearly is a key part of, of what you're doing, but buy online pickup in store and buy online return in store is an area that has been um, a, a large growth uh, for retailers. And so using Apex lockers to be able to automate some of that piece. Click and collect was huge for a long period of time in Europe, but it had um, some false starts in the United States because the success of it, uh, the customer satisfaction piece of it, was pretty poor. So uh, a lot of that came down to not having the product in the right place for the customer as they came into the store, but using an Apex locker to be able to have um, the associate go into the store, pick the goods, put it into the locker, send an email out to the, um, the customer that says, your goods are ready. Customer shows up, picks it up, they're billed, and then if they need to return it, being able to generate an email to them that says to go and return it to a locker in that store, and then as the retailer gets it back immediately, they know that it's been returned. They're able to determine whether that's something that's resellable in the store or needs to be shipped back to the distribution center, and just really automating and making that a lot quicker. Um, we see, obviously, Amazon is doing some of those things at Whole Foods with their Amazon lockers, um, but we see you know, Apex being a, a big partner of ours to be able to automate for our, that for our customers in the future. So um, we have a, about 10 minutes, I think, for questions. Yeah. Did you have any additional? No. Oh. You want to? 
go on your key takeaways, or are you good? That wasn't me. What's that? That's not my son. Oh, is that you? Yeah. We can wrap that from here. So. That's him. Yeah. They just used my picture. Um, you've heard it. The manufacturer of the lockers, the end user, the most important in Manhattan, tying everything together in a nice boat. Any questions for any of us? Yes. You want to? I'm a slow mover. I'll get there. <laughs> Do you have to incentivize your employees to report it damaged? You know, because I assume as soon as they report it damaged, when they put it in the locker, they're going to know that they did it. We don't incentivize. We have included that as a step in our process. Uh, the Apex lockers have the ability to register something as serviceable or damaged when you check it in. You can either choose that option or not choose it. We chose to use that option, and we don't really incentivize them. Uh, we just partner with them and make sure that they understand how important it is to turn it in as damaged, if it truly is damaged. And we do a really good job of teaching them what damaged is. You know, if there's a minor crack in the screen, that's not damaged. That's still serviceable. You know, you can still read everything. You can still use the keypad. But if it's missing keys, then yes, that's damaged or if there's a damage to the housing, then yes, that's damaged. And you know, it's, it's basically, we make sure there's a no harm, no foul kind of mentality so that they're not scared of turning it in damaged. Uh, and then like I said, it's, it's just done through training. Uh, for the most part across our buildings, we have a, a, a very long, very tenured, uh, you know, very dedicated uh, supply chain staffing in our buildings. So, so far we've had success with our two sites and we're gonna continue doing that going forward. And we actually, last night, as I was talking with the, the Apex people, we're looking at ways to even grow that and maybe expand it to having uh, the ability to specify the damage when you turn it in. You know, is it the trigger on an RF gun? Is it the keypad is missing keys? Is it the laser is not emitting? You know, on your voice module, is the Bluetooth pairing not working? You know, um, can you not log on? Something like that. So we're, we're already starting to talk through additional ways to make that damage turn-in process better. Hey, Brian, have you seen a difference in the sites that before they had Apex and then after they had Apex as far as the kind of, have you seen people be more proactive about reporting damage than you did before or is it about the same? We always had a damage process. It was just very manual. Usually it was, you know, we had a little almost like a business card size slip that we had created in mass, you know, it'd be a stack of a thousand of them. And you just grabbed a blank one and wrote down the number and what the main problem was. But then it would either get stuck with it or taped to it or it'd get thrown away or lost. And so your guesswork. Uh, so this at least lets us know exactly which device, but now we'd like to take that extra step of figuring out. So we already had a process, but it was, it was very manual. So it's, it's just changing their thinking of the process. One of the best practices that we see putting these in is the amnesty day. Because everywhere we go, the users who like the devices, they used to write it on there with magic markers. When that got wiped off, they scratch you with their pocket knife. This is mine. And they hide them, which means that you have one device and one user and the other ships are out of luck. Uh, we're finding anywhere 10% is minimum. 20% more devices show up. We put, in, we put in one system I went to, and he said, I want to thank you. We had 24 devices. We were going to buy 12 more. And in two weeks, 
12 more showed up. Uh, we had one site that had 45 show up. So they started declaring names and said, bring them back. You're not going to be able to use them anymore because we have to track them all. So bring them back. If you give people a, 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 a safe place to do their job, to do their work, to get these things turned in, say, I'm not going to complain to you. I just want to know if it's broken. I just want to know if it's missing so I can get it back in service and make that the emphasis. It goes a long way, and the, the, um, the adoption picks up pretty quickly from there. Anything else? We really appreciate you guys braving uh, the current climate. Things have gone on and coming out. Um, so be safe. Give us a call, any of us. We're, we're scattered around. Manhattan's got a booth just 50 yards that way. I've got one a lot further away, but it's worth the walk. You can find me. And um, love to help you with your, with your issues, analysis, whatever you want to talk about. We're here. Thanks so much, guys. Or if anybody has any questions about implementing, you know, as an end user or thinking about them as an option, uh, I'll be kind of hanging around also. So please feel free to to ask me from a you know from a customer perspective, because we've now we yeah the, from the real guy. So we we have them. Uh, we've had them in one facility for almost 18 months. We put them in a second facility last summer. They're going in a third facility tomorrow. Uh, and we are already working on the high voltage electrical work and the low voltage work for uh, three more, I'm sorry, five more additional facilities. So by the end of this year- Make it six. What? <laughs> it's, it's not an auction. So by, by the end of this year, we will have them in, uh, in eight facilities uh, across our network. We have three small facilities that are uh, more regional and basically each person gets the same piece of equipment every day and they only run one shift so we don't really have we can't justify the need or the cost for the lockers in those sites but any building that has more than one shift we can absolutely justify it and we're implementing it in different ways it's not one set implementation in every building because the buildings are different they work different days they work different hours they work different lengths of shifts so we're having to to kind of adjust our solution as we get to each building. Yep. The one thing that I would add, I don't, I don't think you covered, was in an Android world, one of the things that um, we do have the capability, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, is you can power the devices within the locker. That becomes more of something that is a consideration just because being able to update um, Android patches and those sorts of things, as well as push down updates to applications becomes much more of a thing than in a CE-based world, a Windows-based world. So just keep that in mind as you're looking at lockers going forward. If you're doing lockers with Android, you probably want to be thinking about what the power management which, of it is. Which we are now. We have uh, some Android devices in every single one of our distribution centers, and our Macon, Georgia facility is 100% Android. We have no Windows CE, well, other than the, the, the Honeywell voice devices, which still run Windows CE, but all of our uh, scan technology in that building is Android OS. So it, that, that is uh, a big plus. Matt Dermody here with Manhattan was one of the ones that helped sold us on the, uh, the ability to keep those things patched and maintained and updated, and that's been very nice. All right. So. Okay, that's a wrap. Thanks, guys. Thank